Why, hello. Welcome to Quarantine Comics. I'm Roman Segel. I'm Ryan Joe. We're two dudes whose opinions don't matter, yet, like everyone else in the world, we're going to share them in a podcast. Uh, this week, we're chatting about the seminal graphic novel, Kingdom Come, by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. I don't know if seminal is the correct description. I would say seminal. It is, it is, it is seminal. I mean, you know, it gets so many, like, it has an absolute version from DC, hardback, leather. That says seminal to me. In any event, we are reading it for the first time in a long time. I was actually wondering, um, Raman, when when was the first time you read you read Kingdom Come? When it came out, I remember Marvels, which kind of preceded it. It came out, and I feel like I was buying. I didn't get. I didn't discover Marvels till like issue three, and so I had to spend extra money to get the back issues. And then Marvel crushed it with this really like realistically painted from a person's point of view thing came out, and then DC decided to one up them. And they're like, well, we're going to hire Mark Wade. He's our most popular writer and hire that painter you really like. But instead of talking about the past, we're going to talk about the future. So I just was like all gung ho about it. And I remember buying the first issue and being really let down because nothing happened. Again, as a kid, as a whatever, 16 year old kid. But yeah, I, I was buying the issues when it came out. I was I did not buy the issues when it came out. I, I think I probably bought it when I was a sophomore in in high school. It was probably nineteen ninety eight, and I remember I bought it in actually in Berkeley, California. How'd you hear about it? You know Wizard Magazine. Do you remember Wizard? Dude, um, I have issues one through. I have like eight years worth of Wizards. Yeah, home. that was the Fanboy Magazine, and I, I subscribed to that. I read that religiously. In retrospect, kind of a kind of a grossly misogynistic <laughs> magazine, yeah. but um, you know, sort of formative for for me go you know when i was like 13 through through 16 and they would not stop talking about kingdom come and how great it was and that was actually the first it might have been the first time i actually read a painted comic uh i i, I probably had, might have read sam keith's the max but very different aesthetic than what alex Wa- Wait, are Ross you saying was you had not read marvels prior to kingdom come? at that time i had not read marvels I, I came i went to marvels after kingdom come that's a whole other discussion oh my god yeah. you read them in the opposite order I read them in the opposite order, and they do make interesting companion pieces. But um, no, they're, they're they're perfect bookends because one is about the beginning of a universe, and one is about the end of one. I, I would I would actually dispute that Kingdom Come is really about the end end. It's about an end. Yeah, so so I, I got the collected version, and I remember I was t- attending like a summer course at UC Berkeley, and the counselor, you know, asked me what I bought at the comic book shop. And I showed him, oh, this King- I brought Kingdom Come. And he's like, oh, awesome, dude. High five. And he gave me high five. And I read it. And, and, I, and I remember just being awestruck by the, by the art and the grandeur. I'd never seen superheroes kind of depicted in that way. I'd never seen them so flawed. And at the same time, I had a lot of trouble with the ending, with the way it resolved. And I didn't quite understand some of the decisions that Mark Wade was making. Now, when you say the ending, when, the, when I finished reading the issues originally, it was the end of issue four and scene. And later on, I think for a graphic novel, they wrote an afterward. So is your ending kind of Norman the preacher just giving an epilogue? Or is it the one year later when, you know, the Trinity meet up at the diner? One year later when the Trinity meet up at the diner. That ending was actually kind of cute. I kind of enjoyed that. But 
it's the ending where, you know, kind of with Captain Marvel's decision to, you know, with Superman having Captain Marvel really make the decision to detonate the bomb. And then and then what happens afterward? Well, so let, let me ask you a fundamental question really quick. Mm-hmm. Are we I mean, obviously we're doing this for ourselves. Are we talking to people who have read Kingdom Come? Or are we talking to people who have never read it? I don't know. I figure that most people who are listening to a comics podcast have probably read it. Okay. So I don't get the sense that we're introducing new people to it. It's hard to know who the audience is because the audience right now is you and me. Well, no, the reason I bring that up is we have a mutual friend named Bob. He got into comics a little later to the game. And I think a long time ago, it's like, oh, my God, you have to read Watchmen. It should be required reading in schools. And he read it. And then he was like, Roman, what else should I read? And that's when I made my first list of comic books for non-comic book people, right? And Kingdom Come and Marvels are on that list, right? Yeah, I, I will say that that anyone listening to this podcast probably shouldn't come into it not expecting spoilers. I think it's kind of impossible to talk critically about anything that we're going to talk about without revealing the ending because, you know, well, that's, this is a that's... book club. You can only come to the book club if you read the book. Yeah, exactly. There you okay. go. Sorry. So continue. Captain Marvel had it. He left it in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, well, do you, let's. I, let's get to that later because I feel like we can kind of build to the problems I had with it. I, I'll just kind of leave it right now saying that I had problems with, you know, as, as a kid, I had problems with some of the decisions that Mark Wade made. Wasn't sure why he was making those decisions, but kind of chalked it up to me being too immature, too young to really understand it. You know, hey, it's an adult book. I'm a kid. I don't understand it. It'll make sense later on. I'm not going to buy that. You were a teenager when you read it. You weren't an eight year old. You're still a kid, though. I mean, when how old were you when you started reading comics? Uh, probably about 11 or 12 okay so yeah i started at like six or seven so you were like a few years in like i had already i was jonesing for something this serious when it came out like marvels had done it for me and mark wade's run on the flash had also done it for me in fact i had quit comics for like two years reading mark wade's the flash at a drugstore while running errands with my mom brought me back to comics and i became like a hardcore writer fan like i would follow writers not artists and then they announced the guy I loved from The Flash was going to do his version of Marvels. And I was just like, take my money. So I guess if you had to give a, a letter grade, get, uh, two letter grades. The letter grade when you finished reading it back in your youth and the letter grade when you finished reading it today or before this recording. B plus when I finished reading it in my youth. And today? Probably a C. It's funny. Similar trend. I this was like one of the best things I'd ever read when I read it. So like a plus back in the day. And yeah, it's kind of a solid B for me now because I've read so much other good shit. Yeah. And actually let's, I'm kind of curious what your perception is of kingdom come now that you did. Have you read it? Have you read it frequently or did, was the last time you read it really when you were a kid? Cause that was the last time I read it. I was like probably 16 when I last read so it. So I think I've read it four times the time, like when the issues came out, right? Oh my God, this is amazing. And then a few years later in college, when I was bringing up some graphic novels to loan to friends, like I to brought up my four issues of Kingdom Come and let a friend borrow and I reread them. And it held up back then. And then when I was a professional who had money and could buy stuff on the internet, I bought the trade, right? So it could sit on my bookshelf, not in my comic boxes. So I read it back then. And then, yeah, it sat on the shelf. In fact, this, this copy I'm holding right next to me has been loaned out. Probably it was. I bought it more to loan to friends. It was like a trophy that I could loan to friends. So this reading that I did yesterday would have probably been the fourth, maybe fifth time ever. It's not a thing I go back to all the time. I'm not the kind of person who can go back to stuff. So, so talk to me about how your perception of Kingdom Come, your reaction to Kingdom Come changed as you, as you got older, maybe with each subsequent reading. Well, so the first time, I, I was talking to my wife about this, about TV. So we're 
Related but unrelated, we're watching um, the new Star Trek Picard show. We watch the episodes when they come out on Thursday. And it's a very much, you sit, you really enjoy it. And you're like, oh gosh, I can't wait till the next one. And you have to wait a whole week. And when I first read Kingdom Come, it was a monthly, you know? In fact, I think it might've been six weeks. So it took a while to get through it. The thing that worked to its disadvantage back then was I read it and then I had school and drama and other 20 comic books I was reading, right? So they didn't really flow together by the time issue two and issue three came out. So it was more disjointed. And as a result of the disjointedness, it got away with more back then. What do you mean it got away with more? Okay. So issue one is all about Norman, this preacher who's going to make this big decision, right? Right. He's he's here to to give judgment. And he says all sorts of Bible parables as he talks to his congregation and he talks to the specter through the whole thing. And that was another question. Are these actual like quotes from the Bible or just things that are meant to look like it? They are. We're not, we're, he's not doing a Quentin Tarantino where he's just making up a biblical quote. I, I wouldn't know because <laughs> like, I, I don't know enough. No, but then I got to the last issue when it's time to cause judgment and Norman doesn't do shit. Here's the thing. So Norman, the whole point of Norman, the, the every man that you're seeing this, through the eyes of he actually doesn't make any judgment calls at the end first superman lets captain marvel make the decision norman doesn't do jack shit if anything the one thing he does do is he like tells the specter uh you need to transport me to the un so i can talk superman off a cliff and that's valuable but that's not why norman was supposed to be there that's not why the specter brought no but that's pretty significant don't you think I mean, even if his, even if his, I, I don't think it's fair to say he's not active. He's active kind of in two areas. He's active once when he kind of gets ambushed by the Flash. And the second time he's active is when he himself kind of demands to be made visible and audible to Superman. So he can essentially save Superman as well as everybody in the UN. So I think, I mean, I think that's obviously that's not the original plan, but I think that's fine. I think that's that's you know Norman taking that's Norman taking an active role in subverting the apocalypse. Well, so here's where I'll give him credit. I think maybe that's the character taking on a life of his own. So maybe when they started the story, Norman was supposed to do that, and that's just not the way the story worked. Well, I appreciate that though. That's that's an unexpected change in the direction of the character, and it's also true to who he is. He's been kind of sitting around this whole time, sort of Norman and the Spectre are kind of doing the Dante and Virgil thing, where he's just sort of an observer. And then finally, he gets to be a participant. And what he basically helps Superman have is his little kind of come to Jesus moment, so to speak. So Norman's contribution in the end is small in terms of like page count, but it's really, really significant in terms of keeping the disaster from escalating. No, I mean, look, this this book could not exist without Norman. It would just be a fucking gimmick without Norman. You need his perspective. Same thing with uh, Kurt Busiak and um, Phil Sheldon. Right. I guess what I'd say is it's it's a different read to read in one sitting versus in a, as a monthly. And that's something I've been reconciling about comic books in general. In some cases, when you, when you go back and reread a bunch of monthlies, there's a bunch of retreading. This one doesn't have as much retreading last time in Kingdom Come. It just goes straight through. And it assumes it's going to be bound one day. The, the other thing I, on subsequent readings... It's so jammed full of homages and Easter eggs that you can read slowly and appreciate. I'm I'm typically one to read really fast through a graphic novel because the images can shortcut a lot of language. But yeah, there's, whether it's people in the crowds, people in the background, I think I told you in a text, like the Beatles are in this. The, The United Nations is the Hall of Justice. The Gulag is the Legion of Doom. 
from the cartoons. It's chock full of stuff like that, which is a real treat. I think that's actually what the the Wizard article that first got me interested in Kingdom Come. They had an article devoted to all of the little Easter eggs that were planted. It was almost sort of like an annotated version of Kingdom Come within the Wizard magazine. Hmm. And that's so I picked it up and I was like, oh, I got the annotated version, but I don't have the actual comic. I should probably read the comic because it seems really cool. All of these little Easter eggs and details. What was one of the most surprising things for you, big or small, in Kingdom Come? Is this in retrospect or reading it for the first time? Like, is this is this reading it coming back as an adult or uh, yeah, in the in the early childhood readings? Yeah, how creepy Captain Marvel was. I had actually read a lot of the Captain Marvel comics. The you know when he was with when the character was with Fawcett mm-hmm. before it was a DC comic. You know and. He had these kind of cheesy adventures. In fact, they called him the Big Red Cheese. It was Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., uh, Mary Marvel, and uh, Savannah, who was just this weird little mad scientist with a big bald head. One of his enemies was also a little worm called, I think, Mr. Mind, which, you know, there's a kind of an allusion to that character, actually, given the uh, the worms that, they, that Lex Luthor places into Captain Marvel's head. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing that character turn into what he turns into in kingdom come was shocking to me it's it, it was always a little shocking when i would see characters who i associated with innocence and youth kind of transformed into something really monstrous and awful captain marvel is is one example if you ever saw uh batman beyond the return of the joker yep. uh, what they did with robin that is another example that always left an impact on me the fact that your personality could be so transformed by by trauma it's just sort of like this ongoing nightmare. The loss of personality is something that that is an ongoing nightmare for me. <laughs> and you know, to seeing seeing it realized, seeing it happen to one of your 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 yeah. superheroes is is sort of traumatic. So that was that was sort of the biggest thing for me. And then the the splash page with when the bomb drops and you see the decimation of all the heroes. Yeah. That's literally drawn to be a Christ-like moment. Yeah, with the, the cross. Well, not just with the cross. I think even. Again, I don't know enough about Christianity, but that on the on the second page where Superman is just like standing on the ground, I guess it's not a Christ-like thing. It seemed Christ-like to me. Yeah, I've never, I've never. Uh, Alex Ross has this fascination with Superman as this failed Christ figure. He, he, um, I think he did a comic book called "Painted by Alex Ross," written by him, and it was about Superman trying to attain world peace. Oh, I know. It was, it was, it was like extra large. It's written by Paul Dini. Oh, it was Paul Dini. There was this attempt in in the '90s, early 2000s, to make Superman almost this sort of mythic fallen Christ type of figure, and I've never really bought that. Considering that Superman is is completely invulnerable, and and Christ, by dint of you know, he's supposed to be vulnerable and and have those human weaknesses. I've always felt like Superman is sort of like. It doesn't. It's it's a parallel that doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, isn't isn't Superman more of like a Moses type figure? Right. Yeah, he's supposed to be more of a Moses type figure, but he has no people to let go because all his people got blowed up real good. So that doesn't quite work either. It's like you know, you can take little. No, wait, wait, wait. Am I getting this wrong? Because wasn't again someone might have been Kevin Smith. Like, but like Moses was. They were killing all the kids, and so they put. Moses in a basket and sent him down the river. Yeah, that part is that part works, but it's it's the subsequent that origin story is similar to the Moses origin story, I suppose. But after that, the the Superman story and the Moses story take pretty sharp turns. 
in different directions, I would say. Got it. Darkseid didn't read to him Ten Commandments. Exactly. And I think it's fine, like when superhero origins kind of take a little bit from religiosity, but trying to kind of find too strong of a parallel between them. Superman is Jesus, Superman is Moses, whatever. That's when it gets a little bit overstated. And, and then that's when I find the writing often becomes a little bit heavy handed because you're trying to get the character to support a certain moral weight that the character really just can't support. At the end of the day, the character is supposed to be entertaining. He is a comic book superhero. So about, um, this is a random tangent, but about 10 years ago, I read a novelization, a modern novelization of the Ramayan, which is like some of the like sacred Hindu texts, right? It's written by this Bombay crime author, but I was reading it. And I don't know which came first, but it seems like Stanley and Jack Kirby ripped the ultimate nullifier off from Hinduism. That thing existed in the Ramayan, according to this like novelization I read. That would make sense to me. Yeah, a lot of these superheroes, I mean, they do they do stem from from mythological figures from from Greek gods. But I, I also think that fundamentally they are meant to be entertaining, and now of course they're they're meant to be money drivers, revenue drivers. So I think sometimes we put too much import in them than they really deserve. It, for me, you know, kind of going, I'm going to go back to Kingdom Come, revisiting it. I was struck by what a poor manager Superman is. (laughs) One of the things I was more attuned to in this read than I was when I was 16 is how, how weak some of those main characters are and how petty they are. And I think that's to an extent the point for Mark Wade to explore those weaknesses. But you know, when you see Superman, he is a guy who is a great motivational speaker, but we find that only goes so far, which is very true to life. You know, you you might have a manager who is really good at kind of motivating you, but if the results don't show over the long term, eventually those motivational speeches are just going to fall flat. At the same time, Superman is also very good at executing things because he's, you know, he's Superman. He can do anything. But what he's really not good at doing is long-term vision and strategizing. And if you notice, like, pretty much throughout Kingdom Come, every decision, almost every substantial decision he makes is actually made by Wonder Woman. Right? You know, initially, he's, he's, he's kind of of the... He has this very simple mindset, initially. Be a hero and join us, or, or we'll deal with it. But hang on. Don't really good managers delegate? They, they find their rock star people and empower them to lead. Yeah, that's true. But Superman doesn't... He said, no, it, good, good leadership sets a vision. Like in founders, founders set the vision, then they focus on fundraising and recruiting, and they hire really strong lieutenants and let them do their thing. Yeah, but Superman, he's good at recruiting to an extent. And then afterwards, when the vision starts to fall flat, you would think that he would kind of push to lead help lead wonder woman to to a new vision but that's the tension sorry that's the tension of the story it's you think he's this dream manager he's literally they show scenes of him fighting some people in japan and then and they say oh but then where possible convert right to the cause and the next panel that guy from japan is fighting with them and that's like the montage Right. right And then he goes to Apocalypse and he goes to Atlantis to try to find a prison. No, what happens and then is that he realizes that he's not having as much success as he used to have. He's not able to convert as many people. The the cracks start to form. Superman is a man. And he's not the one who goes. He's not the one who goes. He goes. He goes to Atlantis. It's not his idea to go to Atlantis. It's Wonder Woman's. Wonder Woman goes to Atlantis and says, can we use the ocean as a prison? And Superman is surprised by this. Oh, he thought they were just going there to recruit Aquaman. Right. He doesn't realize what Diana was going to ask. 
And again, you know, that's something that he should probably be on top of. She probably should have told him so they could sort of coordinate. And of course, that 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 request is is refused. And then he goes to Apocalypse to see if he can learn anything from Orion. But he learns, you know, he, he there's there's nothing that he can he can really do there. So his next concession is basically building this giant prison, which is soon overcrowded. And he has no way of really managing that, right? I mean, his his whole. Well, so I want I want to pause you on something. So it's this this book, when it came out, started to support these kind of narratives of secret identities, and it's like Spider Man is really Peter Parker. Superman is really Clark Kent, who happens to have superpowers. He's just this. He's he's more of a man than anyone. Versus Batman, he, Bruce Wayne is the mask, right? Right. He's like literally dressed as Bruce Wayne through most of this book, and everyone's calling him Batman because Bruce Wayne was just the mask. And I think that's the truth of this book that it exacerbates this kind of narrative DC was kind of pulling around those years is Superman as a man. Yeah, that's not a criticism yet. It will lead to sort of a criticism later on that I have of Kingdom Come. But right now, I mean, it's sort of like it's interesting seeing this this push and pull dynamic between Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. Because as they try to manage this really odd, this really kind of horrible situation, you're really kind of seeing the flaws in how they are putting together their plan and executing their plan. You know, the whole idea of just tossing everybody into a giant prison and expecting them to eventually atone. That might work for some characters like Magog, who is genuinely remorseful. But obviously, some of the characters in there are, are psychopaths. And a Superman hologram that shows up and tries to lecture them, it just isn't going to cut it. You know, I like that. I like, I like showing how out of touch Superman is when it comes to corralling all of these different... Well, which, which is the fundamental premise of why he walked away. He knew at the end of the trial that they do in the flashback... He's no longer for this world. And he doesn't want to come back to the world. Wonder Woman right. convinces him to come back to the world. Well, he Wonder Woman convinces him to watch the video. And then when he sees what Magog does, does he's like, okay, I got to I got to go back. So it's sort of this is this is this is our these are all strengths of Kingdom Come, as I see it, you know, just kind of really kind of peeling back some of that that veneer that usually coats these superheroes of, you know, being sort of untouchable and, you know, impervious to criticism. You know, here you really see that they're struggling to make these really difficult decisions. And that's what I like about it. And where I start to have a problem, where it starts to unwind for me is at the end. I feel like despite this complex setup where we're steeped in the conflicting emotions and desires and flaws of Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, the ending is really, really pat. It almost feels cartoonish in how everyone kind of, it's almost sort of like things are salved over by a speech that Superman gives at the UN. Things are salved over by like a two-word speech that Norman McKay gives to Superman. And one of the things that I found really, really irritating is that the apocalypse at the end is really Superman and Wonder Woman's fault. They're the ones who wanted to put everyone in the gulag. They are the ones that forced the UN's hand to drop the bomb. They are the reason that all those people died. And at the end of the day, Superman kind of has this, this realization that, wow, you can't teach people who don't want to be taught. You know, in the future, we're going to live with you and not above you. And it's just like, come on. That seems so fake to me. Well, I'm, I'm going to push back on a couple ways. One, that there's no new lesson there. That was Superman's MO. 
It always has been. That's literally why Superman doesn't stop dictators in the comics, right? Then why are they presenting it as a lesson? No, I know. So there you go. That's the problem with the book. I mean, you're right. That's not a new lesson. But the fact that the book presents it as a lesson that Superman learns and that we should all learn from, that feels false to me. And it feels like it undermines all of that really neat character work that Mark Wade was building. Having a really good ending to an episode it's easy to to set up all the tension, like the first and the second Matrix movie, all of the Game of Thrones movies, the first two Star Wars movies of the new ones. It's super hard. The hardest thing is sticking the landing. I can probably count on one hand sagas that stick the landing in a satisfactory way. And so, I mean, we do need to hold our art up to a, a narrative art to a higher standard, but I, it's almost impossible. Like if you get this ambitious like they did with this project, um, unlike Marvel's, Marvel's had a predefined end, so they could like weave in and out of existing things. This one was setting up new territory. And could there have been one more issue? Did they? I mean, they literally like go through like years in the last few pages, right? Or months in the last few pages. I don't know if there would have been a better way to solve it. Like, I just don't. If anything, I enjoyed the ending more than a lot of the middle. Yeah. I don't think there's a way to end it in a way that's particularly happy for Superman or and Wonder Woman. Ideally, they would be accountable for what they did. They would feel the guilt for what they did. I mean, they would shoulder the responsibility of their actions and how. Well, hang on, come on. At the very at the very end of it, again, this is why I actually as as much fun as the diner ending is to me, I prefer the original ending where it is. Superman in a field with a bunch of fucking gravestones. And Wonder Woman says, what a memorial. She gives him the glasses. She gives him a kiss and says goodbye. And Superman goes back to plowing the field. And that's the end. And then it closes on Norman giving a speech. That's how it should have ended. I don't need to see that a year later they're having a baby. Like, actually, and never mind, I was thinking a little more, a lot about this last night. I don't know if you know, after Kingdom Come, a year later, Mark Wade came and rewrote a thing called The Kingdom, which catches up with all these characters and is like, leave it be. Right. Just like they've done post-Watchmen comic books now. And I'm like, leave it be. It should have ended with Norman reading from the Bible. Amen. Because I, I do think Superman is atoning for something. I do think Batman, in the last shot you have of Batman is, if anyone gets a happy ending before like the the diner ending the person with the, the best happy ending is batman right he's not he's just trying to he's just batman is just trying to keep the damage he's just trying to do damage control he's just trying to keep things from getting out of control like throughout the throughout the no, I know, but, but his happy he actually has a happy ending he reconciles with his two sons at the end of it uh his racial ghoul his son with talia and dick grayson they like you know shake hands and that's it and superman he gets his glasses, but then he goes back to work in the graveyard, back to kind of what he was doing in the hologram field. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I was as much as I enjoy the diner ending, and I do enjoy a happy ending. I prefer a somber ending because that's what this book is. It's been. I I I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I I, I like the I didn't have a problem with the with the epilogue and as in its own episode it is it is kind of it is kind of cute. I still feel though like the um, you know what it is it's because he has he has this speech at the UN where everyone's kind of listening to him and he's saying we're just going to live with you yep. we've learned that is what rubbed me the wrong way. I I agree like it's a, a short speech. 
the original sin of this book is that Superman walked away. When shit got hard, when Magog got his way and won his trial, Superman walked away. That's the original sin. And then everything else that happened afterwards, the destruction of Kansas, the you know the proliferation of just asshole superheroes happened because Superman chose to walk away. Had he not yeah. walked away, a lot of that stuff wouldn't have happened. He, it would have been a harder job. But when shit got hard, Cal walked away. And you know what? He does it again when he's fighting Captain Marvel. He says to Captain Marvel, hey, I'm going to stop the bomb, but I don't know if I should be able to be allowed to. I'm going to let you, Billy Botson, make the decision no. because you're you're human. I mean, forget the fact that Billy Botson's been. No, no, hang on, hang on. Actually, I disagree with you there, too. He's because he says, I'm going to stop it. He's not saying, let me know if I should or shouldn't. He's like, I'm going after this bomb. I might be wrong here. But I'm going to stop it anyway, because that's what Superman does. He always saves lives. But he's like, I don't know if I should do it. So if you want to stop me, stop me, because you can. But I'm doing, I've am doing. i got to make a run at this. He does the Superman thing. So I don't have a problem with that, I guess, is what I would say. Like He actually isn't giving the decision to Billy Batson. He's saying, Billy, I've made this decision, but you have veto rights. I don't see that. I see it as an abdication of, of, of responsibility. And that's interesting, though. I do like your point of view. For me, it was an abdication of responsibility. How is it an abdication? It would be an abdication if he said, hey, man, I'm going to sit back here and not get this bomb. But Billy, that's an interesting point. You be you if you want to go get it. That would be abdication. Abdication was when he ran away from Magog and said, hey, man, I can't do this anymore. Fine, I'm done. I see your point. I guess my, my issue with that is that he's giving the responsibility to a guy who is completely mentally unstable and has the and has been brainwashed. But he couldn't stop him. He actually, it was proven that he could not beat Billy Batson. And he's like, in classic Superman, even though I can't stop you, I still have to go try to save lives. Try to stop me if you want. But he's like, he's still giving it his effort. It's not, again, he didn't stand on the sideline. He was trying to tell Billy, look, actually what he was telling Billy was, I'm going to go stop this bomb. If you don't think I should stop the bomb, come at me, bro. Like, give it a shot because you probably will knock me out because I can't fight you. I, I can't win against you. You have magic. So you can stop me from stopping. He expects Billy to stop him from stopping the bomb. And he gives him permission to do it. And what he doesn't expect is that Billy will pull the hero move and throw super. He doesn't say, Billy, pull me out of the way and you die instead of me. What was Billy Botson's decision? Billy's decision, what Billy could have done was, because again, if he's still fully brainwashed, is... I'm going to stop Superman from stopping this bomb. So what does he do instead? He detonates the bomb high in the air. He knocks Superman out of the way. He runs up to the bomb, tries to punch through it. And when he realizes he can't punch through it, he calls the lightning multiple times and blows up the bomb in the upper atmosphere. So is the effect, I mean, the effect is essentially the same as if he had let the bomb fall, right? No, no, they mention that. They say that. There were more survivors because the bomb was detonated above ground, not on the ground. They say that, but isn't that because like Green Lantern and some like Dr. Fate kind of created these shields that 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 uh, that saved some people? I mean, that's what the visuals would seem to imply. Well, no, the visuals, the first visual is everybody. The first visual is everyone's dead, but then you see that there are survivors and they're in a shield. And then at the U at the UN, everyone flies in and they literally say with his dying breath, Captain Marvel managed to detonate the bomb high above ground zero. Thanks to that, 
and the combined powers of Green Lanterns, there were other survivors. So it's not just because of the Green Lantern shields. And again, the next, the next, it's such a great line. Batman, Superman's like, how many people survived? And Superman, Batman's like, enough to leave us with the same problem as we have before. <laughs> the same impasse, the same dangers, the same distrust, the same everything. So he's like, it's kind of a do-over. Sure, a lot of heroes and villains are dead. No humans are dead. Heroes and villains are dead. But we've we got to start over. <laughs> like we'd literally back to square one. Yeah, and then and then so I'm I'm really not sure what they they achieved. You know, first you're you're uh, we're operating under the assumption that Billy, you know, in detonating the bomb high above the sky, knew exactly what he was doing. Knew that he would be able to save lives. I don't know if that's true or not because he was completely nuts. Well, what do you think? What What do you think Billy was doing when he knocked Superman out out of the way? I don't know. You know, because like Superman was going to stop the bomb. That was Superman's goal, right? Superman would say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move, I'm going to stop the bomb. So Billy, he knocks Superman out of the way for, to what end? Well, so here's another thing. Maybe Billy knows that Superman can't stop the bomb. Because we're, we're, the U- we're adding, we're adding. No, 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 no. Hear me that, that isn't the, the UN, as they're getting ready to drop the bomb, there's, I, I remember reading this. I reread it. They say something like this bomb, like when they're clearing the guy to go drop the bomb, they literally say it is built to withstand any superhero that we've studied. Something like that, right? Here we go. I found the page. The UN says, capable of vaporizing a country sheathed in a force field unbreachable by all catalog metahuman powers deployment system. Virtually undetectable. So first of all, it's detected just because Batman and Wonder Woman are fighting. But the one superhero they probably didn't catalog, because they did catalog Superman, I'm sure, right? But is Shazam? Because maybe people forgot about Shazam. I think we're filling in too many narrative blanks here. Nah, man, Shazam's magical. Like magic can stop science. Superman is all science. He, they never say any. They never make a distinction when it comes to superheroes. When during that UN speech, they don't make a decision between science-based superheroes and magic-based superheroes. No, just... no, 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 no. But they do say all cataloged superheroes, and Shazam has been gone forever. He's been gone for a while. I, technically, Superman's been gone for a while too. Again, I will say that we're filling in blanks. Um, Fair through speculation but do you, do you do you agree to the point that magic-based superheroes are harder to out science right because that's literally why superman has a weakness to magic. i think i think we're going too far afield here all right i don't think superman was going to stop the bomb billy goes up to stop superman to what end is billy going to then stop the bomb to stop the bomb to say because he believes superman can't stop the bomb and that he can stop the bomb why didn't he just help him out why does he have to throw superman to the ground because he wants to save superman because he's like i'm fucking damaged goods and i'm gonna make the sacrifice play you don't get to make the sacrifice play superman because the world still needs you i'm either equal to you or you're better and therefore i'm damaged goods i deserve to die for this because if I die, no one's going to miss me. But if you die, Superman, this was the whole fucking problem. You were gone for 20 years and this shit happened. You can't still be gone. I think that's the decision that Billy is making. I'm damaged goods. It, it, this happens in every sci-fi movie. It's like, I get to make the sacrifice play. No, I get to make the sacrifice play. It's like the ending of uh, of Endgame. With Hawkeye yeah, I, I understand that's a, that's a common narrative True. trope. I just, you know, again, with you would kind of expect more and you kind of you would you would expect to see you would expect to understand Billy Botson's rationale more, especially when Superman at the end kind of holds a cape and says he at the end, he chose life then hangs a cape as a flag on the U.N. building. And I'm like, did he really, though? 
Does Billy does Billy really have the cognizance to do that? Billy's no, has no, worms you're totally, crawling he's in his totally brain. marketing it. But he he's totally marketing it. And very few people know that Billy was a villain at, at the end. So that's what it is. It's a cynical marketing ploy by Superman to sh- to to bamboozle the entire world that 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 Captain Marvel was actually like not crazy. They're sweeping that they're sweeping that part under the rug. But they're like, I don't know. I I, I think this part was not. I'm going to just say that that Mark Wade did not think that part out particularly well, or he didn't. You know, he didn't. He didn't kind of see that arc through as, as well as he could have. I think you're cynical and mean. <laughs> Sorry. I think you're cynical and mean. It's the guy found literally when he looks up at the sky to make his decision, you can see in his eyes, he's crying. He's literally crying in the panel at the top of the page. Yeah, it's because Alex Ross painted those tears in. I'm kidding, but it, go uh, there's actually a word balloon that says his tears answer for him. So. Okay. <laughs> so no, but anyway, you know, he's like sweating this decision. He's trying to Superman is the thing, the person that talks him off the brink makes him sane for a moment he probably knows i don't know how stable i am anymore but i can do this one thing like maybe i'm reading too much into this but i choose to believe billy thought through it he was like look i'm useless to the world but superman is still useful to the world so i'm gonna make the play i'm gonna i'm gonna sacrifice myself i think i think that's just i think you know honestly you and i just have a different perspective on this you know you're more the optimist and you know you think you know billy thought through this and i'm you know more of the cynic and i think billy can't think at all <laughs> but what what's your favorite thing about this book it's a bit of a cliche you know the art is is awe inspiring i mean there's nobody who can kind of capture both the humanity and sort of the the awe of these superheroes quite like alex ross he, he, he's able to do both in sometimes in, in single panels and i think that's that's really hard to do the other thing is how clean the storytelling is. You know, sometimes you see these painted comics and, you know, a lot of these artists get too caught up in the details and they lose track of the storytelling. They can't tell the story from panel to panel. And Kingdom Come is just very, very clear what's happening from panel to panel, no matter how elaborate the compositions are, no matter what Alex Ross is kind of throwing onto the page. You know, as, as much as sort of the writing might have staled a little bit for me over the years, I think the art is just, you know, the pinnacle why this one has staying power for me and this is of most of mark wade's early writing when he started to become a superstar and again it's exacerbated by in a good way by alex ross is the humanity of this book like it is sweeping in scope and to your point it falls flat it just kind of comes back to the root causes again but mark writes these guys as people alex writes these guys right and i say alex writes because you know he writes the art direction right he the the poses if you've seen his photography of like employing the models right of the looks in people's eyes um i I will say alex ross's art it it almost kind of masks some of the issues i have with the writing yeah this is just a very human story i'm not saying it's a perfect you know where at the end i kind of thought oh this is too cartoonish this is kind of ridiculous I don't, you know, it's it, initially I didn't I didn't pick that out. I think in part because Alex Ross's art was just so amazing, and you know, even when Superman's delivering this ludicrous speech and hanging Captain Marvel's flag, and it feels a little bit like almost sentimental to me and heavy and unearned, un, unearned sentiment. It's almost absolved because Alex Ross's art is just so powerful to look at uh, that you're like, oh yeah, that's a good moment, and it's maybe coming back at Kingdom Come ten years later. 
more than 10 years later, 16 years later, almost, you know, a little bit more cynical. We're in post nine, post post 9-11, post Obama, well into the era of Trump. You're not you're not quite as taken by the illusion, that surface illusion as 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 I was when I was when I was younger. When did this come out? 1996. 96. Okay. Yeah. One thing I'd tell you is Alex Ross is tricky. Like, I agree it can cover up for bad writing. And I'm not saying Mark Wade's writing is bad. It's just there's some issues with it. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. But I'm just like, I've read Alex Ross on top of bad writing. Like, Alex Ross is not a very good writer. Uh, I think he needs to be paired with someone. Because I read, when I was living in Asia, all of the, I downloaded copies of all the, like, Earth X, Universe X, Paradise X stuff. And it's beautiful. But that's all it is. The the plot is interesting, but the execution of the writing is terrible. And I recently ordered a copy just because I wanted something to read. He did um, Avengers Invaders, where him and another artist paired, like he did the outlines of it. And it's not that good. It's simplistic. So Ross paired with Buziak, Ross paired with Wade, Alex Ross paired with Paul Dini, those oversized superhero books. I have not found a lot of Alex Ross work when he is paired with someone that is uh, up to the level of Marvel's or Kingdom Come, is what I would say. Well, then the quest will continue, Roman. <laughs> the quest continues. I think that's a good, that's a wrap. What do you think? I think it is. All right. All right. And for the next show, we are reading Chris Ware's Rusty Brown, an epic that takes place in, of all places, Omaha, Nebraska. Really, really looking forward to this one. Um, every Chris Ware graphic novel is, you know, Technically amazing, uh, absolutely beautiful to behold, and um, emotionally devastating. So be sure to tune back in next week for some emotional devastation. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please be sure to subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Got a suggestion? Shoot us a note. QTDcomics at gmail.com. We give you a social media handle, but we're old and... Frankly, that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. And remember, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs>